Well, this is David Gibson, still at ESA, still in the Cold Convention Center, and I'm joined now by Jacqueline Gill, one of our associate editors. Uh, Jacqueline, welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's good to be here. Well, the, the meeting theme for this year is Novel Ecosystems in the Anthropocene. So uh, tell me, first of all, what you understand by this term. What are we talking about? Well, I might have a slightly different perspective. So being a paleoecologist, um, when we talk about units of time, um, there's actually a, a stratigraphic board that is currently deciding whether or not the Anthropocene is an actual geologic period of, of time. This isn't decided yet, then. Right, it's not decided officially. So it's sort of a an ad hoc term that we apply to the present, but um, there's a there's actually a board of folks who are trying to decide whether or not this is you know just as distinctive as say the you know Cretaceous or the Paleocene or the Quaternary, which is what we live in now. Um, so would this replace the end of the Quaternary? Is that the idea then? Yeah. So so the. The Quaternary is the last two and a half million years of our Ice Age cycles. The current interglacial we live in is known as the Holocene, which is not really special except that human civilization emerged in it. And then the question is, is, is the Anthropocene a distinct geologic period, which would require that you could pick, its, pick up a signature of it in the fossil record. So imagining someone 10 million years from now, would they be able to tell when the Anthropocene started? So it's actually kind of a fun question because you could argue about, you know, what kind of metric would you use? And some people have said, you know, changing the carbon cycle, causing extinctions, um, or even nuclear bomb testing, which well, would show up McDonald's in... trash. In yeah, the, in yeah, the, the layers, <laughs> yeah, exactly, a layer of wrappers in the sediment record. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so this could be like Pluto kind of issue, you know, whether people <laughs> like it or not. And so, so where's it heading right now? Is this, do you think it's going to be accepted? I think it's, I think it's moving in that direction. Um, it, it certainly, certainly the, the concept of the Anthropocene is useful to convey the idea that we're now in a point where humans are having such a dominant impact on all aspects of the Earth system, from the chemistry of the atmosphere to the biodiversity, um, you know, to you know, the actual geology in terms of how much physical soil we're moving around. And so the start of that Anthropocene, what, 250 years? Eh, that's the part I think people are arguing about, right? Like when when is that? You know, industrialization. Um, you know, when humans first started affecting the atmosphere, maybe 8,000 years ago, with you know, okay. the beginnings of rice agriculture. Mm. Um, you know, you could. It's kind of a moving target, um, depending on what metric you're looking at. Okay. And so as part of that, as you talked about in your talk this morning. Um, is this idea of novel ecosystem. So what, what do we mean by that term then? Yeah, so, so the idea of ecological novelty is something we've been talking about in paleoecology for a few decades now. Um, this idea that, you know, first in the 1960s, people started noticing combinations of pollen that have no modern analog. And at first there was some discussion, you know, is this real? Is this just reworked fossil deposits or things blowing in from long distance? And by about the 70s or 80s, it was very clear that these were, these were real phenomena. And so the question was why? And um, the idea that you know, novel climates or very dissimilar climates from today in the past um, would have also driven very dissimilar associations of plants. Yeah, there was a paper that followed yours, I think, that said that ambrosia is a, across the Great Plains is a, a good example of a plant where we can see these different assemblages from, from today. It's changing its distribution. Yeah, yep, and that you, you don't really see a lot of ambrosia until land clearing. 
um, in the recent historic record here in North America. Um, but there were these periods in the deep past associated, or not the deep past, in the, say, the last 8,000 years, associated with um, really high levels of ambrosia during mega droughts. And so the idea is that there were you know, these periods of extended deep drought, but with high climatic variability. So you would have you know, wet summers in the middle of a drought, which would allow ambrosia to flourish. So it's a kind of a weird combination of, of, of climates. And, and Eric Grimm made the point that we spend a lot of time thinking about climate means, but variability is very important to a lot of organisms. Right, and changing climate variability is one of the aspects of climate change. It's not just warmer or wetter, it's variability as well. Exactly, so, yeah. yeah. But now, the pollen record is a bit selective, isn't it? I mean, we're lucky we can find ambrosia pollen, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of forbs and things that are just completely missing. So how, how, how good are we at identifying these novel ecosystems if we're missing a lot of the, mm. say, the forb diversity? That's a really good question. Um, the novel ecosystems that I've worked in are, are really novel associations of trees, um, but the, as you say, the pollen record is highly biased to trees, largely because we, we're mostly working with things that are wind-dispersed, um, or wind-dispersed pollen, rather. So a lot of the insect-dispersed plants you know, show up very rarely in the pollen record. Um, and so you can get around this a little bit in places without trees, like the Great Plains, where you can kind of focus in a little bit more on the forb diversity because you're not swamped out by this huge dump of tree pollen. Um, but in places where you have forests or parkland environments, it can be really challenging to pick that up. So you might try to rely on uh, physical fossils of the plants themselves, or increasingly, an emerging frontier would be ancient DNA. So we're looking for environmental DNA in the sediment um, mm -hmm. to try to pick up some of these cryptic species is kind of a new frontier. Okay, yeah. So how does some of your research relate to some of these questions? Then? Yeah, so I've done a lot of work on the causes of novel ecosystems in the past, and a lot of the research is focused on climate. And the work that I've done is really brought in the story of megafaunal extinctions. So the idea that the you know, the climates were novel in the past and we have these novel plant associations, but as long as there were megafauna, the megafauna were kind of dampening the impacts of, of climate on the plants. And once we lose the mammoths and other large animals, that's when we see these novel associations emerge. Um, the work I actually talked about today really hinged around the, the question of um, are these novel communities that we see actually novel ecosystems? That is, do they function differently? And we tend to throw around terms like novel and no analog and community and ecosystem as if they're interchangeable. But um, uh, some of the preliminary work that, that we've, we've been doing for this project suggests that even though you see new associations of plants on the landscape, they are, they're not necessarily exhibiting novel trait dissimilarity. Right, right yes, you yeah. Yeah. Maybe and so the traits may be similar, but the species may be different. Right. Ecosystem services are probably pretty similar yeah. at, that, at that sort of scale. Yeah. 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 So um, as we've said at the beginning of this uh, interview, uh, the theme for this meeting of novel ecosystems. Uh, so your paper and that session you were in this morning. What what else have you heard uh, so far this week? Yeah. I, uh, there was a really great. Uh, Advance, uh, recent Advances lecture by Jack Williams, who's done a lot of work on um, paleo novel ecosystems. And uh, one thing I really liked at the end of his talk was the point that we're all becoming paleoecologists now because we're all studying mm -hmm. systems in flux, mm -hmm. you know, between the recent past and the, the emerging future. Um, one thing that I've, I've really found 
interesting is people, especially from the social sciences side of things, kind of interrogating this idea of novelty and, and the fact that um, you know, man, land managers are listening to the things that we're saying and if they hear something like we're in a novel ecosystem or no analog climates are coming, um, you know, for some people that's kind of a, a, a game stopper, right? The, the, is that just a suggestion to throw your hands up and stop caring about the landscape because something new is, is arriving? And, and I think that's an important lesson that we as scientists need to be really careful about our language and what the implications of our language is. Um, so I've seen some, some uh, a surprising number of, of talks kind of dealing with the human side of conservation and human mm -hmm. attitudes. Mm -hmm. You think that's maybe a, a direction that many ecologists are going to be going into now then? That's a good question. Um, I wonder, I've seen an increasing number of these kinds of talks at ESA, mm -hmm. um, and I think it's great because I, I think ESA can be a place where we can make these kinds of interdisciplinary connections. Um, certainly I think that Global change problems require interdisciplinary approaches, and it's nice to see ESA leading on that. Mm -hmm. I wonder if we can, at ESA, bring in some of these social scientists themselves to come to this meeting to, to contribute their research or interact with people. Yeah, yeah, and I've, I've seen a few um, actually coming, so I think that's increasingly happening at the yeah. meeting. Yeah. Okay, yeah, very good. Well, this is great. Uh, thanks very much for, for talking about these issues to us today. Uh, is there anything else you would like to add? Uh, I'm just really excited to see ESA, um, you know, becoming a more diverse place, both in terms of the kinds of science, you know, traditional ecological knowledge, the SEEDS program, I'm a SEEDS mentor this year, um, and, you know, really cool new new features like having, you know, lactation in nursing rooms. It was just, it's a really, it's a great society. I feel really proud to be a part of the society. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Great, yeah, thank